Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. The last time I interviewed a chiropractor was about two years ago, and I was a new podcaster and was just still trying to get the reins on how to interview people and how to interview ex- experts specifically. And so I think it's about time that I had the opportunity to interview another chiropractor and talk about all the various different mechanisms necessary to help the body recover, especially with dealing with sciatica pain. So today I have Dr. Mark Testa who is a chiropractor, um, as well as a part of a, a fantastic company in which uh, hopefully you'll hear another episode talking about um, the company that he's a part of. But Dr. Mark um, has been kind enough to uh, share his time and expertise so we can talk all things chiropractic care. So Mark, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Mack. I appreciate it. Uh, and I, uh, I appreciate you. Please call me Ashley um, on this too. So um, for the listeners out there who might not have heard your name before, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what your journey is and, and where you're at today. Yeah, I've taken an unconventional journey as a chiropractor. I got out of school in Southern California in 1990 and I was shocked to find out I was a quack. I swear to God. People were like, chiropractors are quacks, um, you hurt people. I mean, I didn't know. I grew up going to chiropractors. Um, you know, we got a lot of relief from them. They turned us on to a lot of holistic stuff. And e- even when I was like 16, I knew this was a direction I wanted to go in because, um, you know, the relief and what they were doing to the musculoskeletal system. And so I ended up finding my way to working with physicians uh, really early on in the mid to late 90s, which was really kind of uh, uh, novel back then, because even physicians considered us largely quacks for for numerous reasons we won't get into. There's a history, uh, deep history behind the AMA planting that seed in the 60s uh, and 70s. But uh, nonetheless, I found myself... <clears throat> wanting to practice with physicians, I felt like I could um, really add a lot of value to to what they were doing, help them expand their continuum of care. And so it was probably late 90s, I started working with a primary care group in Boulder, Colorado, and continued to work in primary care. I ended up working in the largest primary care practice here in Colorado for numerous years. I worked in one of the largest physiatry pain practices on a hospital campus for about eight to 10 years. I worked in the largest uh, Ahmed uh, provider in the United States delivering acupuncture primarily, but also chiropractic. And then um, spent time um, at Denver Health in a hospital system, still largely doing work comp, but you know, <clears throat> I spent my whole time with physicians, primary care, pain management. I even worked in a spine surgeon's office for several years always had great PT around me um, and uh, and was able to, you know, go to the specialists, go to the surgeons, go to the physicians and say, hey, I need some help with this or this person isn't responding. Uh, can you help me with this? But on the flip side of that, I also saw a lot of failures. I saw a lot of surgery failures, particularly spine, certainly rotator cuff 
uh, doesn't always go smooth. And as you know, as a, as a physical therapist, that rehab is brutal. <laughs> um, and people don't always get their range of motion back or get out of pain. And even in our pain practice, the, the you know, I mean, I, 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 wor- I just worked there. It wasn't my practice, but I saw four opioid deaths in one quarter in a three month period. Uh, this was in the Purdue, you know, heyday. And um, all of this stuff was so shocking to me. Um, but I got to see that side of, of medicine. And I really feel good that I was able to bring in more natural care. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I helped Boulder Community Hospital develop medical staff privileges for chiropractors and acupuncturists. And when I got to Denver Health 11 years ago, they said, um, how do we add you to the to the to the medical staff we've never done this well we built those documents in boulder to be transferable around the state to any hospital so i got those handed them to them and boom now i'm the first chiropractor on the medical staff there so really an unconventional uh pathway for most chiropractors at least starting in the 90s maybe it's a little different nowadays hopefully it is that's a really cool journey i think you brought up a very interesting point throughout this entire journey. I was looking at the theme of of uh, a lotai, like a theme of collaboration, um, which I find to be very valuable. And when you get into an area, say such as sciatica pain, and there's so many various different professionals that are helping, you're going to be coming across people who are going to say, surgeries aren't going to work. This thing's not going to work. Medical professionals aren't going to work. And it ends up creating this combative uh, environment. It's an us versus them. No one else is going to fix you but me. And it creates an un, uh, an unfortunate narrative and environment where you have a clash of professions. And I think with what you've been describing, you are really capitalizing on this concept of interprofessional collaboration. And so uh, listeners out there, there's two terms out that you should be looking out for, or you might have heard or come across of, you have interprofessional interactions and collaboration, and then you have intraprofessional collaboration. And what's really interesting is that when you have a group of people, say like a f- bunch of physical therapists who collaborate amongst each other, that is intra professional collaboration. That's where we're looking at the same background, focusing on solving a specific problem. But truth be told, the pain that you're dealing with is multifactorial. It's including your behaviors. It's including the biomechanics. It's including the actual physiological processes that happen. And so what that means is it's really important for you to be able to have a medical team that is actually collaborating together, the interprofessional collaboration, which allows you to get every single aspect. And if you've been dealing with sciatica pain for a long period of time, it can be a little frustrating where you're having multiple different professionals, but it's, it is important to be able to, it's, it's important to understand that everyone is on the same team to help you. So that's, that's the, that's the big point I wanted to share. Um, let's talk a little bit more about chiropractic care. I think a lot of people, when they think chiropractic, they think just cracking everything. So um, in short, can you tell us a little bit more about what the chiropractic profession is? What are some of the things that you look for? And um, and and what are the what are some common ways that are, are that that you use to to treat pain? So, the chiropractic has got a very broad spectrum and a big history. And I'll be you know, there's two sides to the coin. So there is the vitalistic side of chiropractic with the sub 
subluxation, the vertebral subluxation, the misalignment of the vertebrae, um, compressing a nerve, uh, altering the flow of the body's innate healing intelligence. Now, I absolutely believe there's an innate healing intelligence, right? There's chi in Chinese medicine. There's prana in, in Ayurvedic medicine. There's innate in chiropractic. I mean, there's some living force that keeps us alive. And you really notice this when you're dissecting cadavers, like there's something missing here, right? So I absolutely believe in that. And so, you know, the, the vitalistic side of chiropractic believes really that getting that alignment of the spine um, as optimal as possible allows that innate healing intelligence to flow throughout the entire body. Now, if I'm sick, I'm going to go get adjusted, right? I, I, but I am not going to try to cure cancer or multiple sclerosis or other things with an adjustment. That's just not the way I was trained. And that's not how I ever practiced. There are chiropractors that do practice that way. And I think maybe this is a good adjunct to other things that you're doing, right? But it should not be done, in my opinion, only by itself, right? There's exercise, there's nutrition, there's specialists. Sometimes we need medications and drugs and other things. Then there's where I have all my experience on the mechanistic side of chiropractic, where that joint misalignment now is looked at a little bit differently. Um, I call it, we call it segmental dysfunction. It's that segment. It's not moving properly. It may be moving too little. It may be misaligned and irritating a joint. It may be moving too much because there's ligamentous laxity. The muscles around it are maybe are reacting by spasming because they, the, the body knows through afferent and efferent you know, signaling, meaning signals coming from the brain to the body and from the body to the brain, that something is not right. And so there may be spasms, there may be edema around that area, there may be hypersensitivity around there. It may be that sciatica going down your leg, right? Where those lower lumbar segments are just misaligned, the disc is a little irritated, the intervertebral foramen where the nerve comes out may be slightly narrowed. But that nerve, those nerves going down the leg uh, into your butt, into your foot might be getting compromised, might be getting squashed. And it's not just physical. It's also chemical irritation. So when those joints get misaligned and the, or the disc gets a little irritated, they leak chemicals that can be pro-inflammatory, that can irritate nerves. And so, so those are the two sort of sides of the same coin of chiropractic. I think when people are looking for a chiropractor, you know, what are you looking for? Are you, you know, are you looking to get out of pain and get this relieved? Are you looking for an adjunct to maximize your health? Because they can be kind of a little bit different, a little bit different in their philosophy. Um, the vitalistic side might want to see you very frequently, where the mechanistic side with me, I can usually tell in six visits uh, if I can help you or not. And that's where, to your point, that interdisciplinary collaboration came in really handy because after about the fourth, fifth, sixth time, if you're not making improvement with the tools I have, which I'll get to in a second, then I'm not helping you. Now, say you come in with low back pain and sciatica, what am I going to do? Well, first, I'm going to do a really thorough exam, right? I'm going to put you through a range of motion. I'm going to see where you're limited, where you have pain. I'm going to look at your reflexes. Uh, I'm going to look at muscle strength. I want to see if there's irritation. 
I'm going to look at the skin. Is there are there things going on around those segments that are indicative of something going on? I mentioned edema, or sometimes you can see pitting edema. Sometimes there's hair loss along the dermatome, the 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 sensory area of the leg where that nerve has been irritated for a long time. So there's a lot of signals. Sometimes the toenails look different. So we're going to do a good thorough exam. We're going to look at the reflexes. Is the nerve working properly? Um, and these are kind of gross. So you, gross findings. So, you know, they may not be subtle enough. Then I'm going to get my hands on you and move you around. Are those segments moving very well? Um, I don't really rely on a ton of x-rays for this sort of thing. Although I'm glad to see them if I, if I can get, if I have them. But I don't order x-rays routinely ever. I just don't. Um, and largely, I don't feel the need for what I do to do that. So, um, and then what I'll do is if there's some misalignment, something isn't working, I've got a couple tools in my toolbox. Um, obviously, manipulation, right? I'm going to try to do some joint manipulation, joint mobilization, see if I can get those joints to move properly, move well again. Now, if they're hypermobile, based on some findings in my exam, I don't know if I'm gonna do a lot of mobility of like the cracking to get that to move because I don't wanna take a hypermobile joint and make it more hypermobile. And I think that's something really, and that does happen and that can happen. And that can make matters worse down the street, downstream. Um, other things along the manipulative, manipulative route I do, I like to do flexion distraction therapy. So patients laying on their belly, their legs are strapped in. And we're stretching and opening that low back, opening the joints, opening the disc space, opening that intervertebral foramen, um, getting pressure off of the nerve, getting mobility in there, getting fluid to move around the joint, the synovial joint there. So I like to do that. And then I'm big on acupuncture and dry needling. I've been trained in both. I've been doing both for 25 years. Um, I was an early adopter. I had a great trainer uh, early, early on before dry needling was ever a thing uh, here in Colorado. Your one of your previous guests, Dr. Centeno, uh, was a uh, early adopter of that. And I learned in his practice in the late 90s uh, about that and then took more formal training. Um, nonetheless, I like to dry needle and do acupuncture and uh, treat the lumbar segments, get into the sciatic. Uh, notch space. I don't really hit the nerve, but I get in that area. And then I treat uh, points down the leg as well. Um, and so I get some of that uh, started. And then, you know, exercise, you know, we can't neglect active care along the way. So I work with a great physical therapist. Uh, she's got her doctorate. And so we collaborate a ton. I don't really do her job. But I go down the hall and I say, let's activate the glutes. Let's activate the multifidus. Uh, let's do some nerve glides here, uh, things like that. And then if the patient is open to it, let's look at your diet, right? I'm very holistic perspective. Like, what are you eating? Um, uh, do you have any sort of insufficiencies in B-complex? Are you putting too much alcohol into your body? Um, let's look at your, and again, I would do this in collaboration with our PT. Let's look at your workspace. Uh, you know, it looks like you and I are both at standing desks. So how much are you, 
you know, getting up off your butt because when you sit, you compress that disc and makes it even more irritated and can aggravate sciatic pain. So those are some of the 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 tools and techniques in the toolbox. Um, and I have a lot of them because I don't think there is any one trick pony out there that solves this problem. You're very well aware of that, I'm sure. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah, there's um, there's so many tools out there. And I think one of the really exciting things that I heard as you're describing this was this concept of the fact that because the sciatic nerve is so, it's such a long nerve, it, it's so long and it's not, and it doesn't even begin what the moment it exits your spine and i mean it originates over at the your brain and spinal column and so you're looking at various different areas of which this this nerve or the nerve origination can get irritated not just from a uh, biomechanics like what what structures are there irritating but also being able to say okay what what are these um well, from a joint perspective, we're looking at the the hypermobile joints, the things, the joints that actually move way too much versus the hypomobile joints, which is something that doesn't move very often. And so I think a lot of people, when they're tr- considering uh, uh, seeing like various different professionals, they really don't know what to expect because you go on the blogs and they're like, yeah, you're going to go through an evaluation. And and that's, that's the extent of what they say. They don't know what that's like. They, and so... For you to describe what that is, I think it's really impactful and important for people, especially if they are on the fence or not really quite sure what to expect uh, from a chiropractic visit. Um, one of the things I, I, when you shared the the vitalistic side versus the mechanistic side, um, it's great that you brought up the concept of a chi and energy flow. And I think one of the really interesting things, and you notice this as well, uh, when it comes to like chi and energy flow and all those various different points. When you go into a cadaver, those chi and energy flow points are actually the very similar areas of where our peripheral nerves are. It's all the nerves that actually exit our body. And the nerves that we have, they're not, they're, they're pretty much cords that conduct electric and chemical activity that send signals. And when you have a blockage or a dysfunction, it's going to uh, address both up the chain and down the chain. And to be able to uh, look at it from the energy standpoint or the I think you said the uh, innate healing intelligence, but then also the mechanistic, like what are the actual roadblocks in the way? Um, And I think it's important for us to be able to look at both because um, the human body, we're not just like one, we're we're beyond, we're more complex than the typical supercomputer. I know artificial intelligence starting to become more complicated, but ultimately it's a series of code. For us, we're biological beings. So we're having cells, various different systems that interact with each other. And because of that, it's important for us to be able to collaborate with various different professionals. I think when people look at chiropractic care, I think the the most common term that they hear is a cracker back, right? And so in the physical therapy world, we call that cracking uh, a cavitation. And so 
in the physical therapy world, we say that the cavitation, that crack is not necessary. You don't need to hear or feel that in order for you to experience those true results. On your end, as a chiropractor, what are, what are your thoughts or what's your view on the whole cracking mechanism and how that's interacting? That's a great question. You know, let's use the middle-aged, even 60-year-old woman, right, who comes to me who has uh, joint arthritis. I might not want to, well, a couple things. So as the joint space narrows, which it's going to happen as we all age, the air change, the, 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 the pressure change in there that creates that crack is not as big as when we're younger. And so you're not going to hear that crack. And that, that crack is not the, you know, be all to end all. That is not our goal to get everything to crack. Our goal is motion. If there's lack of motion, we want to increase and improve that motion. And so I tell a lot of people, they're like, oh man, I used to crack a lot when I was younger. Yeah. So that's what I explained. That joint space is narrower. The, the amount of volume of air in there, going back to Boyle's gas law, is smaller, the pressure's less, and so there's less ability to hear that or make that happen. That's not the be-all to end-all. Also, some people's joints are arthritic, and that just trying to get that to crack is creating more irritation and potentially damage to those joints. So that's not the goal either. And, and I think people need to take that off the table as... I got to hear myself crack. Otherwise, I didn't get anything. Again, the goal is mobility. Now, perfect case in, in point, and I had a long stretch there when I was treating like 60 plus people with sciatica or spinal stenosis. I don't crack those people. I don't even get them on their side. I do not try to manipulate them because I just already know that it's not going to be the beneficial thing. What I do that gets a lot of relief for people is acupuncture and then the flexion distraction, opening that area up um, and getting it mobile, moving that way. There's zero cracking that's happening there. And sometimes they're disappointed that that's not what I'm going to do to them. And I explain all this and I'm like, but you're not, you know, 30 anymore. You're not even 40 anymore. You're not even 50 anymore. This is the better thing for you at this point, right? Like as our life progresses and as our body changes, right, we're not doing the same things we used to do to it when we were much younger. And so um, sometimes that takes education and repositioning that thought process with people because the crack is not necessary in order to get the end result, which is largely relief that we're looking for with people. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think uh, a lot of people think they're like, I need this crack, but like you do a technique and they're like, I didn't feel a crack. I don't think it worked. And then we probably ask them, well, how do you feel? Like, do you feel any better? And they're like, well, my pain is gone. It's like, well, if your pain is gone, you didn't necessarily need the crack in the first place. And so it all kind of centers back on if someone's coming in to see you for pain, like they want to make sure that they're leaving with hopefully, you know, they, they want to leave with less pain. Um, with that. And so let's talk about some cop, some of the common trends or issues that you see with someone who's dealing with sciatica pain. So, um, an, an example, I'll give an example from, from my end. Um, usually I see two, uh, we'll say three, three major 
categories of people when when they're coming to see me. Either they are they they prefer rounding for they prefer they they prefer more kind of like the flexion based touching their toes all that stuff. And I often associate that with more of an arthritic spine or stenotic stenosis. Um, and then you have people who are a little bit more extension based, the people who like to do those back bends and standing up a little bit more. And that would say that's kind of a, if we were to kind of categorize it from a tissue standpoint, I would categorize it under a little bit more of a disc irritation. But then we have the um, the the folks with the lateral component um, in regards to maybe forward bending or backward bending doesn't help. But if they lean towards or away from the side of pain, that itself actually helps me figure out, okay, well, the, the so those are the three major categories. And then the fourth category is oftentimes uh, the people are experiencing a lot of pain when they're doing specific activities. And that's when we're focusing specific on movement, exercise, and also just looking at the specific activity that's causing them pain. Um, what are some of the common things that you see? Yeah, very, very similar, right? Flexion, um, you know, that's part of my exam too. So when you're doing a, a slump test or a seated straight leg raise or you get them into flexion and it hurts, then I don't want to ho- do a whole lot more in that direction. Um, and I always ask, you know, do you get more relief in extension or do you get more relief in flexion? And then we try to work in those directions um, and giving them exercises more in those directions Um uh, similar with the lateral bending and things. And so, uh, sometimes that's sometimes the trigger where I need to get some imaging as well. Um, you know, if there's a lot of disc related pain, then, you know, I might talk to the physician and say, here's what I'm finding. Um, and I think, you know, now's a good time to probably get an MRI. I'd rather use an MRI than an X-ray because an X-ray isn't going to show us very much. It's not going to show us anything about the soft tissue or the disc, so we might as well get the right tool for the right job and treat the person. That's another important thing, as you know, like we're not treating the picture. Like we can take eight, eight, eight out of 10 people off the street. We'll have a positive MRI, but not have any back pain. So we got to be careful to treat the person, not the picture. That's why I'd rather start off with the exam and then make the decision about whether we need to get any sort of imaging. So we don't treat, you know, something that's not really causing the problem. Um, and then again, um, you know, uh, and I think this is really important too, because I have worked with some physicians who really, I mean, it's just maybe their, it's just maybe their way of doing exams where they've compartmentalized too much. Oh, if it hurts in extension, it's a facet, it's the joint. But that can be, as you know, from some of the McKenzie pro- protocols, more disc-related stuff. Um, and so um, I think we got to really tease it apart and try to make a good diagnosis and put all the pieces together. There is just no one package and everyone's a little bit different when it comes to those different um, kind of exam findings. And I think this is really helpful. Uh, this is where the team comes into play. You know, sometimes physicians and surgeons or physiatrists that I've worked with have seen different things, different presentations than I've seen. And vice versa. So um, that's where I really love to collaborate with them. And again, I walk down the hall to the PT. And before we before we share our diagnosis, we kind of share our findings. And then we talk about what we found because I don't want to influence her. She doesn't want to influence me. And um, and that's where we get some really good. So uh, I'm with you on that. Those four different kinds of things. it matters. And, you know, you got to put it all together with the patient presentation. And if there's any imaging at that point. 
A hundred percent. And I think what's, um, you brought up this concept. It's like, okay, you're bringing up your findings. Like you're getting all this information necessary to help you make a decision. And I think where a lot of people fall short is that when they're working with a specific professional, maybe they're not necessarily getting all the information. And the truth is about that we're not going to be able to get all the information during the first visit. But also I think it's important um, when it comes to information gathering, um, I often tell the clients that I work with, like no information is too minute. And so the thing is, is that in recovery, and this is my viewpoint is like in recovery, you're going to get as much out of it as, uh, as much as you put in. And so if you go to a doctor, if you go to physical therapist, chiropractor, you go to someone like me and you're like, my back hurts. And then that's all you say. And you don't tell me anything else. I'm only working based off of the fact that your back hurts. And so it is important um, from a clinician side to be able to ask those deeper questions, but it's also important from a patient side that whatever you're experiencing, anything that you find or think that is related to the pain that you're experiencing, you got to reveal it to the provider. Like that's the, that's the big thing. And I think oftentimes, um, and I see this in the, the, we'll say the insurance physical therapy world, because oftentimes they might not necessarily have the time. They're like one of three patients. And the the person says, well, I told them I had back pain. They gave me all these different exercises. But truth be told, it's a two-way street. Clinician needs to get asked the, all the questions necessary for them to make a decision. But then you also need to provide that information as well. Because if we don't, then we're really just shooting in the dark, hoping something sticks, rather than let me get a little bit more information. This information drives me to these specific decisions. Exactly. Sometimes I feel like I'm a... Um... Uh, you know, interrogating people and, or, uh, you know, like just grilling them. Does it hurt to, to sit? How long does it hurt before it's, or how long can you sit before it hurts? Does it hurt to walk? How far can you walk before? Does it hurt in bed? Does it hurt when you lay down? Does it hurt when you roll over? Does it hurt when you get it up and out of the chair? Cause certainly like, there's certain conditions that, you know, certain activities bother and people don't really think about it because they're just, like you said, they're like, my back hurts. I got back pain, but all these little clues and a good clinician um, knows, you know, what questions to really start digging down. How far down your leg does that sciatica go? Is it just in the knee, in the thigh? Does it go below the knee? Okay. Do you have pain in your butt? Do we need to look at the piriformis? There is a lot of detective work that goes on. And, and, you know, I even go farther than that. I ask every single patient about their, their sleep. Because as we know, poor sleep it increases cortisol. It, it just drives a million bad things biologically in our body. And I ask about mood every single time, anxiety and depression. And here's a great one. I'm treating a guy right now who's had had bilateral sciatica worse on one side than the other. They did a two-level fusion. He had a ton of major trauma in his life in the last six months. And guess what? He's not getting any better. He's no better from the surgery. They're up in his drugs. He's still miserable. He's going to go on disability. And I started talking to him about some of his past trauma, suicides in his family, children, suicides, things like this. I mean, that is that is now playing a role in his life and in his health. And I'm just honest with him. I'm like, until you get some of this dealt with and you need to go get this dealt with, I'm not going to be able to help you. I cannot override some of these things that are going on in your body that are coming from, you know, really PTSD, you know, somatic trauma, 
things like this. And I have pushed him into seeing a therapist because when you bring this up, even with him, he starts crying in the room, right? So, you know, this is another pain point. It's not just sitting, standing, walking, bending, it's higher up. So I think, you know, as a good clinician, um, you got to go deep and ask the hard questions. And I'll be honest with you, 20 years ago, when I started asking about depression, it was a hard question for me to ask. Um, but now it's super easy. And a lot of people suffer from anxiety and depression that make their pain worse as well. Yeah, especially in the world that we live in today. I mean, the mental health is starting to get even more of a spotlight because they're, I mean, the resources are there and there are people that are there to help you. And often, and, and I'm so glad that you said, listen, like there's only so much that I can do from a physical standpoint, but we're dealing with something internally and I can't do much unless you address that. And the truth is, is that people are concerned about losing business because of that. But the truth is, is that we all got in the business to help each other. And so for, for you listeners out there, it is important that the clinician that you're working with, just like Mark said, looks at everything. And if they can't fix you, they refer out. And that's something that I also do as well on my end. And that's a, that's a very important thing. And so we we're already starting to touch base in regards to like who would not benefit from the chiropractic uh, chiropractic tools and modalities. So we have folks who are actually dealing with a little bit more, uh, not a little bit, but a lot more of the psychological, emotional that would actually benefit from seeing more of like a psychotherapist or a behavioral therapist. So there's any other uh, criteria things that like you said, if I can tell within six weeks, uh, six visits that I can't help you. So what are some other things that you're thinking that, that you observe that you say, okay, this is, this would actually require the, uh, the help from someone else. Um, so, uh, you know, super acute herniated discs, super acute low back pain. Um, I know even some of the physicians I work with want me to come and examine a patient, which I will do. And they're super, their back is hot and it's cute, right? They got that antalgic lean. They can't, you know, cough, sneeze, laugh bothers them. Um, you know, that's not somebody I want to see right away. That There's not much I can do for that person. If they can't move around getting up and off the table very well, um, and they have super limited range of motion, I would rather have them get on some NSAIDs, some non-steroidals and calm that down first. So um, again, you know, I, I get paid whether... Uh, the way I get paid is I, I wish it wasn't fee for service for everyone. I don't get paid fee for service. My only objective is to help people get better, right? I'm not there to have you come in 60 times because I get paid more to do that. So it's easy for me to say, and you brought it up, we're all in it to help people. Um, it's easy for me to say, I'm not ready to see this person. So super hot, acute, low back is not somebody I want to see. Um, somebody who has a lot of other issues going on. Like they have generally overall super poor health. They're smokers, they drink, um, they're unhealthy in a million other ways. They're, um, th th you know, I can tell they don't exercise, they have poor diets. I mean, we, we can only, we're trying to turn that into improved health. And when that bucket is muddy or it's empty, there's only so much you can do with that with that biology. Um, again, I'll give that a shot, but that's where I limit things to like six visits. That's where I can start to tell. Um, if you have um, um, symptoms that are unresolving after a few visits, 
that's something I can't help. Or you've got, you know, weakness and numbness and tingling and serious weakness, foot drop, right, in the leg. Sometimes we see that uh, with a really long or acute case of sciatica. That's something that needs to be addressed a little more aggressively that I'm not going to be able to help. Um, and that's when I start making referrals. Um, certain red flags, and I've seen this more, um, and I've only seen this a few times where, Doc, my pain is so bad at night, right? I remember that guy. He had cancer, and I only saw him two or three times, and I went back. I was That's when I was working in primary care, and I went to his primary care doc. I was like, I think we got to get some imaging on this guy, and sure enough, he had cancer. So those sorts of red flags are um, people that I... Uh, quickly, you know, refer or, um, you know, don't move fast with. And you know, what's interesting too, is I, I treat a lot of multicultural people here in Denver. There's a lot. I treated patients. One day I treated seven patients from seven countries in one day. And um, it's interesting to see kind of, to put this work on top of people who have zero context around it or acupuncture around it. And uh, you have to be careful how you do that and how you approach them and sticking needles into people when it's totally foreign to them. Um, and so I'm very conscientious about people from other cultures and what they expect with hands-on. Not everybody gets touched like you and I touch people. And so I think we have to be very uh, aware of how we're moving into people's space like that. So um, those are some of the, the top things that come to mind. You bring up some really interesting topics. I mean, um, for sure, listeners out there, when you see a clinician and they they don't ask you about like going through a red flag screen, that that is a to me, that's a huge red flag. It's like you got to find someone. It's like if, if no one asks you about the numbness and tingling or anything else that might be related, that is something where I think it's very important. And I've talked about this in, uh, in other episodes, also in the sciatic protocol that I have um, on the site. You go through red flag screening. If you present with any of those red flags, you should get medically evaluated first before you do anything else. And then if you're clear of those, if you're cleared by your doctor, awesome, go ahead and do do whatever you need to. But if if you haven't talked to your doctor about those red flags or those things that are strange that has come on since your pain, you gotta you gotta talk to the the doctors about that because there's definitely something that could be um, something there. And we want to make sure that you are all protected. That's the big thing because the tools that we implement may or may not help, but we want to make sure uh, may or may not help in the presence of red flags. And we want to make sure that we're pretty much dotting our dotting our eyes and crossing our t's. And you brought up a, this has inspired me for another episode further down the line. Are, are the cultural views of of pain and biomechanics and stuff? So that that is something I'm putting putting down. And so, um, Mark, thank you so much. This is really really helpful. Really good clear information for what people can expect from chiropractic care and how and how the profession can actually help um, from a tools perspective. Now, I always like to have listeners leave with some sort of action. Um, whether it be how to find a clinician or some things that to take care of themselves. So with your experience, like what are the biggest action steps that people can take leaving this episode? I think a couple things really keep in mind, and you know this, Ashley, a lot of back pain goes away by itself. Um, imaging does not need to be the first step. You don't need an MRI or an x-ray immediately. Um, 
you know, try some conservative things first, you know, some heat, some ice, some rest, not laying down though, not like bed rest, none of that. That does not work. That is not recommended. You know, we want you to remain active. You know, the Indians used to walk in dried up riverbeds because that undulating movement of their pelvis and their back was therapeutic and healing. Old people sit in rockers because that movement of the spine is also very helpful. So we don't want you laying around. So no imaging um, right away. Stay active as much as possible. You know, talk to a family member, a friend about your symptoms and if they have had a good chiropractor that has helped them in the past. And then I think you need to find out, were they that mechanistic chiropractor or that vitalistic chiropractor? Because to your point, the exam, the red flags, all that stuff needs to be vetted out um, and make sure you're not missing something really obvious. Um, and then, you know, patients ask me all the time when I'm done with them, where, because I don't have a private practice, um, where can I find a good chiropractor? And the only really reliable source, there's a couple of them, um, um, the active release technique website, um, why ART active release technique? Because, you know, I've had some of that training. I just, the people in that organization are more mechanistic based. They're physical therapists, they're chiropractors. They understand, um, uh, biomechanics and the anatomy and physiology really well. They generally have multiple tools <clears throat> in their toolbox. And some of the people that are trained by, um, and most of them are about the same, similar, but trained in um, kinesio tape or athletic taping. I'm a rock tape trained person again. So I, I like rock tape. I, lo I love their training. You know, I've taken numerous hours of their training. And so I, they probably on their website also have good clinicians that are listed again, who have multiple tools in the toolbox, know there's more going on in the body than just uh, misalignment because um, nothing, it, it, we're all interconnected that way. It, it's, we're holistic. So those are the two resources that I recommend. But, you know, day one, you don't need to go see a, a surgeon. Don't do that because, and same with imaging, because we'll find things on imaging that could lead to a procedure that you never needed. Um, so start off slow, ask for referrals, go to those places, um, and, and look for resources there. Awesome. Really good, clear action steps. I really appreciate it. Mark, um, there's probably some people who may have some follow-up questions. Um, if, if, if you're up to answering them, um, uh, what's the best way to get in touch if they have anything or, or they probably also want to hear a little bit more about the benefits that you are providing for, um, some of the companies you represent. So what's the best way to get in contact? Right. right. Let me give you my website or my, uh, email address. Um, you can reach me at, uh, doc testa, D O C T E S T A at hotmail.com. That's, uh, that's probably the best place to reach me. Um, where I can help answer any additional questions or basically, you know, help you with uh, good referrals. I love it. Dr. Mark Testa, chiropractor, um, expert in just taking care of people. I really appreciate your time. And I know that the listeners have been as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so, have, uh, so much for having me, Ashley. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. 
And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.